Appreciate Lowell and his graphics. Makes us stop and think, particularly in light of the songs that we've been singing, reminding ourselves what we're here for, what we're longing for, and striving to put things in perspective. Human beings are always interesting. Think about when we were younger and the things that we had. I'm one of those who got rid of a 58 T-Bird and kept an 82 Dodge Coat for 14 years. Wish I'd kept the T-Bird. But it's all hindsight. We collect things, and we pretty well understand that most of them will not be of value until after we're gone. Or we collect things, and we find out as we collect things that uh, as you talk to your children about it, they do not have an interest in what you have collected. And that holds no value to them at all. They're just material things. What we want to pass on, we want to be convinced of in the life as we live it is the things that are of true value that is that relationship we have with God Paul in his writing to the Corinthians in that first letter and in the fourth chapter reminds us of some thoughts again that we need to consider in the life that we live how we relate to materialism, the things of this world, and how we relate to who we are, and how we relate to positions, if you will, that we have in this life as we live for Jesus Christ. Let a man so consider us as servants of Christ, stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required in stewards that one be found faithful. But with me it's a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself. For I know nothing against myself. Yet I'm not justified by this. But he who judges me is the Lord. Therefore judge nothing before the time until the Lord comes who will bring both things who will both bring to light the hidden things of darkness and reveal the counsels of the hearts then each one's praise will come from God. Now these things, brethren, I have figurative transferred to myself and Apollos for your sakes, that you may learn in us not to think beyond what is written, that none of you may be puffed up on behalf of one against the other. For who makes you differ from one another? And what do you have that you did not receive? Now, if you indeed did receive it, why do you boast 
as if you had not received it. You are already full. You are already rich. You have reigned as kings without us. And indeed, I could wish that you did reign, that we might reign with you. For I think that God has displayed us, apostles, last, as men condemned to death. For we have been made a spectacle to the world, both to angels and to men. We are fools for Christ's sake, but you are wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are distinguished, but we are dishonored. To the present hour, we both hunger and thirst. We are poorly, poorly clothed, beaten, and homeless. And we labor, working with our own hands, being reviled, we bless. Being persecuted, we endure. Being defamed, we entreat. We have been made the filth of the world and the offscouring of all things until now. We, in light of scriptures, have elevated the apostles. But Paul, as he's writing, is saying, here is how the world, the material things of the world, here's how they view us. And we expect to be viewed differently. You're the light to the world. But as we know from the human perspective of things, if you're in the dark and your eyes have got accustomed to the dark, what happens when somebody comes in and flicks the light on? Now, you know, you go blind for a second. Turn the light off. That's the world. That's the things that we're not careful that we end up pursuing. The things of the world, all the material things that can be mentioned there, they're all going to vanish away. I'm sure she still has it somewhere. But my mother-in-law had one of those first mobile phones that came out for your car. The battery pack about this size, about that tall, and about so wide, with a phone with a receiver and a cord on it. And it could not do what this thing can do. No way could it even come close to it. But then it was the going thing. But the material things are not lasting. They do fade with time. They're rushed out. Whatever else they can do. Gone through stuff that she had. And you get some old pieces of material that she loved to sew. You get some pieces of material that's been sitting out in a garage that somehow had uh, holes in the bottom along the edge where somebody chewed through. And all that material simply got tossed out. What do we, what do we pursue? What are we looking for? 
Paul says, let a man consider us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mystery of God. Let us be perceived in that light, but also understanding how if we are perceived in that light, that is to be among one another, if you will, but understand how the world perceives us. Condemned to death. A spectacle of the world. We're fools for Christ's sake. We hunger, we thirst. See, that's what we pursue in the physical world. We're poorly clothed, beaten, and homeless. We've been reviled, been persecuted, been defamed, been made as the filth of the world, and the offscouring of all things. Word mentioned at times before that word offscouring is the equivalent to us taking an SOS pad and cleaning out a pot that's been been burned on the on the inside. You take all that time to scrape it and clean it, and you got all that junk down at the bottom of it. What do you do with it? What's it good for? Tossed out. Paul says that's how we are perceived by the world. We have the good news. We have good responses along the way. We have the indications of persecutions that will come as well. But we are reminded periodically in Paul's letters and elsewhere in the scriptures that those who want to follow Christ and if you want to follow Christ, then you go back and read the Gospels. See how he was received. He came to his own, John tells us, and his own received him not. Those that he came to seek and to save rejected him, ridiculed and mocked him, and finally crucified him through the hands of godless men. They were not willing to do the ungodly deed, so they had others do it for them, but they're just as guilty. We, at least in our country, have been somewhat pampered. And the freedoms that we've had to be able to worship. We get to deal with the denominational world. And they're not understanding why there is some difference between them and us. But that's about as far as it goes. And we need to understand, we want to be the good news, the aroma of fragrance of, of salvation, of life, and not the fragrance of death. But for many, what we have to say is the fragrance of death. Because when they hear it, they do not want to receive it. And if they do not receive it, it will result in that spiritual death for them. And there must be a need for us in our life to be honest with who we are and what it is that God has wanted us to do. To remind ourselves that the gospel requires repentance on our part. And if you take time to look in Luke 13, for example, verse 3 and also verse 5, so 1 through 3 or 1 through 5, you catch a glimpse of how. Religious people 
Now, God's people both saw themselves and saw others who had suffered misfortune along the way. And that's there for our example, to learn a lesson from, of our being careful in our life. How do we perceive? Do we understand that need for repentance? Unless you repent, Jesus told those who saw the wickedness of others and said they must have been terrible, terrible sinners. And Jesus said, I say likewise unto you, unless you repent, you will likewise perish. There has to be that change in the life. To repent requires a conscience. You have to have a conscience that is going to be pricked. We live in a world where we see around us many people who have no conscience. Therefore, they're not pricked. They see no need to change. They're arrogant in what they do, but that's not new. They've been doing that from the time again. But they don't see a need for a change. And they do not see a need to be concerned about what we would call eternity, heaven or hell. And as you try to share that, again, for most people who really have no knowledge of the scriptures, but they usually have a knowledge of one verse in the scriptures when you talk to them, and that's usually Matthew 7, 1. Judge not that you be not judged. Don't judge me. Don't tell me I need to change. And there are times that as a child of God, if we're not careful, we take on that same characteristic. Don't tell me I'm wrong. And we need to be careful. A conscience that can be pricked by the word of God. We need to look at ourselves honestly. We understand that no one knows you as well as you. I can know a lot of things about you. I can draw conclusions about you by actions, by demonstration, by words, attitudes, deeds. But I really do not know you. But you do. You're very much, very well acquainted with yourself. Well, there's a disadvantage in that as well. You ever want to overlook some things in your life? I really know I could be doing better. And I really know I should not be doing that. But that word often enters into our vocabulary. It might be silently in our mind, but it enters into our vocabulary. But, and so we 
overlook some things in our lives. And God has a way of dealing with that. Sometimes he's given us friends, brothers, sisters in Christ, those who also all will be willing at times to help each one along the way. You go back to 2 Samuel 12 and you look at verses 1 through 15. This account of David and being confronted by Nathan, the prophet. Did David not know what he had done until Nathan approached him? Did he not have any understanding or any clue of what he had done? Somehow he had justified it. Remember when Nathan gave him that parable? How it hit David? Just the parable. That man who did that, that rich man that took that one man's poor little lamb, he said he deserves to be put to death. And then Nathan did what? That's you, David. That is you. David made the repentance. He suffered consequences. And that's one thing sometimes we forget. There are consequences for what we do. There is forgiveness. And thank God there is forgiveness. There is mercy shown to us. Thank God there is mercy that is shown to us. Look at the damage that was done by that one life. How many generations suffered as a consequence? Why? Because David was a king in God's kingdom. And he acted in an ungodly way, which did what? Caused the nations around them to blaspheme God. His actions gave the enemy cause to say, why would we want to be like you? You're doing the same things we're doing. And they blasphemed the God who is holy, righteous, and pure that David was to be serving. So we have that problem we get to work with and to deal with. Remember Peter? And Paul having to rebuke him to his face? Over his actions? It's always interesting, isn't it, when you sit there and you look at David? You look at how he was chosen That's always interesting to me, how David was chosen as king. Jesse had all of those sons and basically understood that one of his sons was going to be king. So all the sons were together. Were they all? No. He went through all the sons. No, not this one, not this one, not this. Samuel had to be told, you know, don't look on the outside, look in the heart. All the way through the sons. Is this all the sons you have? No, well, I've got one other, but he's way out there taking care of the sheep. Bring him in. And then to 
Again, David knowing the background, what's involved. You go all the way down the line, the slewing of Goliath and all that's involved in that, and then the turnaround and the due violation to God's law. What a tragedy. You look at Peter, look at his history, read his history in the Gospels. One of the three that were very close to Jesus, Peter, James, and John. The three that were able to go up onto the Mount of Transfiguration and see Jesus actually changed before their very eyes. To have that understanding in the preaching of the gospel, in the day of Pentecost and Acts 10, that the gospel is for all. And then to play the part of a hypocrite. So much so that even Barnabas was caught up in that hypocrisy. But again, always grateful for the love, the mercy, forgiveness that God extends. You can never unravel what you've done. You can never whitewash it. Try to act like it never happened. But you do have the forgiveness of it being washed away by the blood of Christ. You have the hope that the Hebrew writer brings out. Hebrews 10, verse 17 and 18. Their sins and their iniquities I will remember no more, says the Lord. Once there's been a sacrifice made, there is no more offering to be made. And we need to remind ourselves of that part of it at times as we look at ourselves and as we try to encourage one another. Sometimes we feel so bad that we want to know, what can I do to make it up? (laughs) You know, what can I do to make this all up? What What can I do? And there's nothing outside that repentance of a contrite heart. The submission to God and knowing that he's there. Because the sacrifice for your sins was only one. That was the blood of Jesus. There is no more sacrifice. The Hebrew writer will go on to say, if you turn away from that sacrifice, there's nothing left. You have no place to go. But to know that we do have that forgiveness of sins along the way. Ours is as children to being honest with ourselves is understanding again. Salvation depends on our response to the truth. John 8, 32. You shall know the truth. And what? The truth shall make you free. You have to know the truth. It's one of those things, the songs that we sing so many times as an invitation song, Just As I Am. And at times I need to be reminded, and at times we need to remind others, you are free to come to God just as you are. But you're not free to remain just as you are. You've come to God, there's a change that's going to take place. You're going to change. Sometimes we hear that that's just my nature, that's just the way I'm built, that's my characteristic. And again, I need to be reminded at times of 2 Corinthians 5.17. If any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. 
Old things have passed away. What's old things? My temper, my attitude, my categorizing people, my holding grudges. All those things are gone. Because of what Christ did. Cannot imagine him holding a grudge against us. You knew better than that, and you went ahead and did it anyway. How can you even think I'm going to have a place for you in heaven? Can you even picture God saying that? You're out. Forget it. I'm done with you. We need to understand who we are. We're servants. The word there is really slave. We do not like that word because it has all these bad connotations and imagery that goes along with it. So we use the word serpent. That doesn't sound quite as drastic as our being a slave that has no will. Ours is to do the master's will. That's our job, whatever it may be. Well, I don't have to do that. That's not my job. You hear that anywhere? That's not my job. That's somebody else's job. No, mine is to be the servant. I mentioned this morning at the Lord's Supper. Go read John 13. You spend some time with John 13 and see how that affects your inward side. You read John 13 and see how it affects your attitude towards materialism. What, are, what is it? All these things up here that really do not matter. They're all going to vanish in time. They're in the consequential. And sometimes, we discussed on, on Wednesday night in uh, Nehemiah one time about uh, loaning, mo- um, uh, loaning mo- money, I'll get it out of yet, loaning money to brothers or sisters in Christ. And what's involved in that at times and says, you know, you don't, or you do, you don't expect it back. If you're not careful, you loan the money, you can lose your, you can lose your brother in the money. And I hear at times when people do that, they say, it's really not the money, it's the principle of the matter. It's not the principle of the matter. It's the money. Well, I just trying to make a point. No, you're concerned about the money. If you loan it, it's gone. Let it go. What difference does it make? What is the principle? What has God given to us? Everything. What do we have that we have not received? And how God gives that in our being receptive to what he gives. Being able to do a job. Whatever else may be out there. Whatever it is, we have received it. And what is it for? For his glory, not ours. Paul says we've lost everything. You can go back and just look at the history of Paul a little bit. Saul of Tarsus, if you will, to what he may have had, had access to, what we read about the Sanhedrin and the Pharisees and what was involved at that particular period of time and the willingness that he had to count that all but loss for the sake of knowing Christ. And then to be as he went through life. I've been hungry. 
I've been shipwrecked. I've been beaten. I've been cast into prison. Been an outcast. Count considered of the, considered as the offscouring of society. My hope and my joy is serving God. And encouraging others to do likewise along the way. If we say we have no sin, John says we're a liar and the truth isn't in us. But if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I love that part of the verse, do you not? If I confess, confession is simply acknowledging, yes, I did it, I committed that sin, and I'm repenting of it. That's what a confession is. Yes, I did it. Somebody confesses to a crime, that's what they're saying. Yes, I'm guilty. I did the crime. When I confess that before God, he's faithful and just to forgive and to cleanse from all unrighteousness. Allow us to be the child that we so desperately need to be. But this good news that we share, again, some of the world will not receive it. You've got the two choices that are found, out in the, found in the book of Acts. One is in Acts 2, 36 through 41. You think about those on the day of Pentecost hearing Peter and the other apostles preaching. You notice how pointed they got down there? You, by the hands of godless men, have crucified the Son of God. You're guilty of murder. What was their response? Men and brethren, what do we do? You think about it. You're, you're guilty of murdering Christ on the cross. What do you do? That's when he told them to repent and to be baptized for the remission of their sins. And they could be raised to walk a new life and have the gift of the Holy Spirit. Go over a few chapters at chapter 7. Stephen, before the Sanhedrin preaching to them. What was their response when he proved or showed them that they were guilty? They took up stones and stoned them to death. I like Acts 2 better than I do Acts 7. What's the end result of Acts 7? At least for Stephen. Father, into thy hands I commit my spirit. I'm going home. Someone on Sudheim, somewhere long in times, we recognize and we'll realize, hey, regardless of what you do, regardless of how you try, This physical life, this physical body that you dwell in right now is going to die. You can live to be 117 years of age or whatever else may be out there, but you're still going to die. That's the given fact. The physical body is going to die. The physical things in this world 2 Peter 3, 8, and 9, 
It's going to be destroyed, burned up. All the elements there are going to be burned up. The only thing that matters is have I learned to separate myself from the material things? And have I learned to put my focus on God? And am I willing to help those that I come in contact with? Well, that's a choice that we get to make within our lives. There's a world out there Even though they may not ever know the song, it applies so close to them. There's so many who are almost persuaded. We live in a world that has denied God for years. Those who have disclaimed God have believed in the Big Bang Theory. I believed in the everything evolving over a period of time, concluding that say when I was in the school in the dark ages, science books then said that the world was five or six million years old. They've gone way beyond that nowadays. It got up to the 10, 20 billion years old because it won't work. To some saying, well, there's something out there. Years ago, Thomas B. Warren in this area debated Anthony Flew, who was an atheist, back in the 70s. Over the period of time after that, the atheist finally acknowledged that there had to be a supreme being who created this world. And reached the point of acknowledging that that supreme being is the loving God who cares for his soul. But did acknowledge that there had to be a supreme being who created this world. Thomas B. Warren had already passed on, so never had an opportunity to follow up on that discussion with him. But the fact being, I'm just simply saying, as time we've exploded what we against God, to now saying, well, there's something out there, and now we're really not sure. They may be moving. Who knows what they're moving towards? But are, they're almost persuaded. The question is, are we living a life where we're almost persuaded? that we ought to give God our whole life and let him guide and direct us. Almost persuaded. But as the song says, almost, but lost. God in his love, his mercy, grants us time to change. An opportunity has been given this evening for one to be able to do just that. The life is not where it needs to be, and there's a need to make a change in that life. If we could assist, if we could help you in any way, indeed we bid you to come as together we stand and sing.